Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we discuss cases that involve corruption and negligence from the people that we are expected to trust. These cases range from the police ignoring protocol to corporations putting people's lives in jeopardy in order to maximize profit. Today, I am drinking a hard apple cider. How about you, Jenny? I've got some white wine with me. I know last week I said I love hard apple cider, and that makes me happy to hear you're drinking some. It's absolutely delicious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, have a nice sip for me. All right, let's get into our case. This week's episode focuses on the death of Maitrese Richardson and the controversy surrounding her death and the police investigation. Maitrese Richardson was a 24-year-old former beauty pageant contestant that went missing from Calabasas, California. Maitrese had recently received a bachelor's degree in psychology. She graduated with honors and was the first person in her family to actually go to college. She was working as a go-go dancer at a gay club around the time of her disappearance, but it was a go-go dancer. She was not a stripper. Go-go dancers are just kind of like the people that get everybody hyped up in clubs, just getting everybody ready to have fun. Maitrese was funny, ambitious, and close with her family. She was also an out lesbian, which her family was very accepting of. In the days leading up to Maitrese's disappearance, family members say that Maitrese had been acting oddly and leaving them strange voicemails. And a psychologist she had interned with and was close to believed Maitrese was showing early symptoms of bipolar disorder, which often shows up in your 20s. On September 16, 2009, Maitrese drove 40 miles from her home in the L.A. area to Joffrey's Restaurant in Malibu. She was interested in attending nearby Pepperdine University for grad school, and it's believed she made the trip to possibly visit the university. At the restaurant, Maitrese was behaving strangely. She went into the valet parking worker's car and told him she was there to, quote, avenge the death of Michael Jackson. Inside the restaurant, Maitrese sat down with a group of strangers and said she was from Mars and was speaking to them about astrology. Once the group left, Maitrese was left with no way to pay her $89 bill. The restaurant did call Maitrese's great-grandmother, Mildred, who Maitrese was living with at the time, and asked her to pay the bill, but since she wasn't able to drive to the restaurant and actually sign for it, they couldn't accept her credit card. The manager said Maitrese was in a trance-like state when speaking, and the police were called after she pulled out a joint. Staff claimed to have a customer who refused to pay her bill and was, quote, acting crazy like she could be on drugs. A sobriety test was administered by police, which Maitrese passed, but she was arrested for not paying her bill and having a small amount of marijuana in her car. It was less than an ounce, I believe. She allegedly told an officer she went to Joffrey's because she was, quote, drawn to the lights. It should be noted the restaurant was considering paying her bill, so she would only receive a ticket for marijuana possession, but they were worried for her safety and didn't think she should be driving. Maitrese's car containing her phone and purse were impounded, and she was taken to the Malibu Lost Hills Sheriff's Station. Police didn't mention any odd statements or behavior in their arrest report. Her great-grandmother had called Maitrese's mom, Latisa, and, and notified her of the trouble Maitrese had gotten herself into. As Maitrese was taken to the station, Latisse called ahead and asked when Maitrese would be released. Latisse was at home with her 10-year-old daughter and didn't want to make the journey to Malibu unless Maitrese was being released that night. She was worried for Maitrese's safety because of her behavior and because she was so far from home. You can hear Latisse's call. We'll link it below and it'll give you chills. Listening to it, 
after you know what happens to Maitreese, it's heartbreaking. The officer assured Latice that Maitreese wouldn't get released until the next morning and that she'll be safe. Despite his claim, Maitreese was released from the station around 12.38 a.m. with no personal belongings or money in a dark wooded area she was unfamiliar with. We'll have a map link, but on the map, you can see that there isn't much in the area. Latisse called the station again at 5.30 a.m. to check in on Maitreese and learned from the Malibu Lost Hills Station Custody Assistant, Sharon Cummings, that she had been released hours earlier. Cummings knew that Maitreese did not have her car and that no one was coming to pick her up and claimed that Maitreese declined an offer to stay in the station's lobby and said she was going to, quote, meet with friends. Latisse immediately called back to the station and asked how long she had to wait to file a missing person report. She was told by Deputy Kenneth Baumgartner to wait 24 hours and that reporting would be different if there was mitigating circumstances, which Latisse told him there were since Maitreese was not familiar with the area. Regardless, Latisse waited to file an official missing persons report for Maitreese. While Latisse was worrying at home, police got a call at 6.30 a.m. from retired news reporter Bill Smith, who lived around six miles away from the sheriff's station. He claimed an intruder was in his yard and described her as being a slim black woman with afro-like hair which fit Maitreese's description at the time of her disappearance. When Smith asked if the woman was okay, she replied that she was resting and had left before he could get outside. Neighbors also claimed to have seen Maitreese in the area and heard screams. Police couldn't find anyone in the area and didn't put out a bolo or be on the lookout notice until six and a half hours later. Latisse wasn't notified about this call until 12 hours later. Two days after she was last seen, police did a search beginning at Bill Smith's house. They found Maitreese's sneakers and shoe prints that indicated she had been running from something, but not much else. Months later, in January, a larger search was done by police and 300 volunteers. They searched 18 square miles of Malibu Canyon, but didn't find anything. Another search took place in June, and sexually graphic graffiti featuring black women was found. And people thought this could have somehow been connected, but to my knowledge, there was never any connection between this graffiti and my trees. But let's rewind a little bit. After the initial search in September, the case was handed to the LAPD since Mitrice lived in L.A. During their investigation, the LAPD searched Mitrice's car and discovered her journals, which had non-coherent and rambling writings. Before her disappearance, she was also making dozens of social media posts and seemed sleep-deprived. And it's been said that Maitreese may not have slept in the five days leading up to her arrest. This, alongside the journals, led police to believe she was having a bipolar episode on the night of her arrest. Throughout the investigation, Maitreese's family felt the police weren't taking her case seriously and weren't cooperating with them. It took the police two weeks to provide her family with their arrest report, a request which the family says should only take 24 hours. The family also states the report was clearly edited with whiteout. And we can link this as well. Um, Mitrice's family has a website with a bunch of facts, and they do have um, copies of the arrest report on there, and it is clearly whited out on one page. They also face a lot of pushback when trying to retrieve tapes of Mitrice at the sheriff's station. One month after her disappearance, police captain Thomas Martin told Mitrice's family that there was no video footage of Mitrice. Captain Martin is also quoted as saying this in a local newspaper. 
But fast forward to January 2010, Captain Martin found the video footage in his desk drawer. Police tried to explain this by saying they were confused by what exact footage Mitrice's family wanted. The video has never been made public, and Mitrice's family wasn't actually even allowed to view it until three months after it was discovered. Latisse claims in the video Mitrice can be seen pulling at the mesh on her jail cell. It's like a mesh wall, I guess, in the jail cell and rocking back and forth like a child. Shortly after this incident happened, Captain Martin was promoted and transferred to a police department an hour away. It's been claimed that with what the officers knew of Mitrice's behavior, they could have held her for an involuntary psychiatric hold, which would have involved bringing her to a hospital and filling out paperwork. Throughout the investigation, police maintained that they did follow protocol and that at the station, Mitrice showed no signs of intoxication or mental distress. And since she had no criminal history, they could not keep her in custody. However, it was allegedly claimed in an email that the arresting officer felt Mitrice was acting strange and was uneasy about letting her go. The officer has also alleged that he didn't recall saying this and that Mitrice was sound of mind at the restaurant. A preliminary inquiry was done months later by the LASD, which is the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. Um, it was done by their Internal Affairs Department and ruled that the deputies did not endanger Mitrice and she didn't exhibit strange behavior on the night of her arrest. The video also reportedly showed an officer leaving right after Mitrice was released. Police refused to identify this officer, but a journalist from LA Magazine found the officer. In their interviews, the officer lied at first about being at the station the night Mitrice was arrested, then said he couldn't remember if he was there. Then finally implied he was present, but was, quote, one of the guys that was kept away from this, minding my own business, end quote. Mitrice's family also claimed the video was clearly edited. While the video could have been edited for time by police, they never explained why the editing took place. While Latisse began to believe her daughter was dead, Mitrice's dad, Michael, thought he saw her in Las Vegas. In January 2010, Michael believes he saw Mitrice near the Las Vegas Strip working as a sex worker. He was so sure it was her that he jumped out of his car and ran after her. He said it wasn't just her appearance, but the way she moved that convinced him it was Mitrice. Mitrice had modeled and danced at a few parties at the Playboy Mansion, and he was worried that someone had possibly recruited Mitrice there, or she was picked up by a pimp after leaving the police station. The police didn't think this was credible, but months later, in June of 2010, a high school classmate of Mitrice's claimed to have seen her at a Las Vegas casino. On the 9th of August 2010, rangers were in Malibu's Dark Cannon, a remote and rugged area of the cannon checking in on an eradicated marijuana farm. There, they stumbled on Mitrice's new and partially mummified and scattered remains, which were found within two miles of Bill Smith's house and less than eight miles from the Lost Hill Sheriff's Station. State penal code dictates that law enforcement should notify the coroner the moment it learns of human remains. But the coroner reported that the LASD didn't alert them until almost 90 minutes after deputies arrived and almost three hours after the Lost Hill Station was informed about the body. Despite a state code that says a body shouldn't be moved without the permission of a coroner, the police airlifted Mitrice's remains without coroner approval. They claimed they were worried animals would get to the remains, but they had been exposed to the elements for 11 months. 
Police also took no soil samples, which is information that could have been helpful to the coroner's office. Questions arose about the state in which Maitreza's remains were discovered. Her right leg was found two yards uphill from the rest of her remains, which is unusual for an animal to move. Her femur was found removed from the soft tissue of her leg, and only some of her clothes, jeans, belt, and bra were found folded nearby. Given the Malibu weather at the time, it is also odd that her body was found mummified and not fully decomposed. An LASD lieutenant claimed once Mitrice's skull was found, her entire skeleton came out of the ground since it was attached to her skull, which simply isn't true since they hadn't found five of her neck bones on the day her skull was discovered. Her hyoid bone was never found either. It should also be noted that while Mitrice's family was having a memorial service at the site where her remains were found, they found a finger bone belonging to Mitrice. So many questions arose about how well the area was searched and what exactly was found when her skull was discovered. Mitrice's cause of death was ruled undetermined since her body was badly decayed and showed no signs of foul play. Her hair, clothing, and the insects found on her body were never tested, and her clothing was actually found stuffed inside the body bag that her remains were brought in. Her pubic hair was not combed either for DNA and signs of sexual assault. Police believed she entered the canyon in a manic state and died from anaphylactic shock after being exposed to poison oak or a rattlesnake bite. They also said her body was found in a flash flood area, which could explain the missing clothing. Since Mitrice's remains were found, Latisse and Michael received $900,000 in a lawsuit against the LASD. In 2015, they requested the California Attorney General, who was Kamala Harris at the time, review the sheriff's handling of the case. But Harris claimed there were no grounds for criminal charges against the department. In 2016, the office reversed its decision and began an investigation, but ultimately found there was not sufficient evidence to support the claims. There are several theories associated with this case. These theories are purely speculative, and we may never know what really happened to Mitrice. We are not here to convince you of someone's guilt or innocence, and all persons are presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. First is the police's aforementioned theory that Mitrice succumbed to the elements in the canyon during a manic episode. This theory is not widely accepted since her body was found in an unusual way that animals would not have been able to do. Her, some of her um, remains were found uphill and animals, I guess, would usually move downhill from what I've seen. And animals obviously can't unbuckle her belt and bra to get that off of her. And none of this explains why her clothing was never found either. I mean, the flash flood area, I don't think flash floods really remove clothing like that. Some also believe Mitrice committed suicide, but there was no real evidence of that either. More popular theories are that Mitrice was either killed by the police, someone connected to the marijuana farm her body was found near, or someone completely different. If she was not killed directly by police, it's widely believed that police negligence played a major role in her death. The area where her remains were found was also near a 21-acre ranch where porn is filmed, and some believe this could somehow be related to her death. To my knowledge, I don't believe anyone connected to the marijuana farm or the porn ranch were ever interviewed by police. Mitrice's father believes police took advantage of his daughter while she was in a fragile state and detained. 
her mother agrees and believes she was possibly raped and definitely murdered. So, Del, what do you think could have happened to Maitreese? So, I definitely agree with her parents, and I think the most likely scenario is that Maitreese was killed by someone who was taking advantage of her in her unstable state. I'm not sure who the person is, but it could be tied to the people that were associated with the marijuana farm. Drug dealing is a really cutthroat business, and the littlest thing can cause a confrontation. This is especially true for those connected to one of the Mexican drug cartels, which are very abundant in the California area. And I think that it could have been something as simple as her wandering and them seeing her and thinking that she was working with the police or working with a rival gang that could have caused this. How about you? I definitely think that's plausible. I'm very suspicious of the police in this case. And I think there's evidence to them being directly involved and possibly covering up for another officer, especially since they didn't want to admit who the officer in the video was, and they were so um, late to release it. Del, have you ever heard of the Saskatoon freezing deaths? I have. Um, When I was doing some research into the connection between how the Canadian police treat the indigenous population and how it compares to how American police treat the Black population, that came up. But can you tell me more? So Police Canada were known at some point to do something called Starlight Tours, where they would arrest Indigenous people, usually men, for being drunk or disorderly, and drop them off in a remote area and just abandon them. Some people actually died from this. They died mainly from hypothermia. But I can see Maitreese being a victim of something like this. You know, the police drive her out in the middle of nowhere, leave her there as a joke, and she ends up running into the wrong person and getting killed by them. If it wasn't directly the police, I believe someone from the pot farm found Maitreese and killed her and possibly held her remains or kept her captive before killing her since her remains were mummified and not decomposed. I wouldn't be surprised if the police were actually connected to this farm somehow and assisted in a cover-up and I'll get to why I think that in a few minutes. But if not them, I do think someone completely different, maybe even a neighbor who knew the police, found my trace on their property, took advantage of her in her fragile state, later killing her and leaving her in Dark Canyon. I think she was strangled since her hyoid bone was missing, which is known to show if strangulation has occurred. And her left arm was found flexed, which to me means maybe she was trying to defend herself and grabbing at someone's hands trying to get them off her neck. And then they ended up killing her. So, Del, this is such a frustrating case. And I know we're going to say this all the time, but this one really, really is. It's frustrating. It's heartbreaking. Right. And I think one thing that's going to come up in a lot of these cases is the level of corruption that these police forces are doing and I think that in some of the cases it's a low level of corruption that just happened to you know in the mix of things cause a tragic outcome then you have a case like this that has such a high level of corruption that it seems as though these police did not think that someone like Matrice a young black woman was worth living and worth protecting and these just aren't unfound claims of the police corruption they acted very suspiciously 
the moment she was in their custody, I would say, I mean, they lied to her family about not having video. And then the video was found in someone's desk. Why is video footage being found, being kept in someone's desk? That doesn't make any sense. And why was the police report edited? Why was the video footage edited? And there's no explanation from the police on any of this. And in that internal affairs investigation, they totally left out the video being kept in Captain Martin's desk drawer. I mean, that's, to me, a really big red flag right there. And also a red flag is the fact that they ignored protocols for an unknown reason. Police say that they did get approval from a coroner's assistant or someone else within the coroner's team, but the coroner alleges that that isn't true. And police were left alone with Mitrice's body for six and a half hours. And her body was found in a bizarre way. So you do need to think, did they take those six and a half hours to do something, to hide something that would have left evidence? Right, because six and a half hours is definitely a long time. And one of the things that we talked about was the fact that they actually ended up airlifting the body themselves. Yeah, and it's so weird because they said, you know, they didn't want animals to get to it. It had been out there for 11 months. I've seen situations where they have an officer or a couple officers stationed there on lookout. So if there was really a situation where an animal was going to be there, you could have taken steps to prevent that animal from actually interacting with the body exactly and i think that is part of protocol and again we're just seeing these officers disregard it for their convenience you know whatever it may be they're just not listening um del you had mentioned too how we're on the topic of ignoring protocol many people believe that based off what the joffrey's restaurant staff told police they could have held her for that psychiatric evaluation and brought her into the hospital but the police say they don't have enough evidence for that. And I have heard many people say that the police just didn't want to fill out the paperwork. That yeah, night. and it's a real shame because California has definitely one of the more robust mental health systems, even though it is lacking funding like the others. But they have a law in place where you can 5150 someone. And that simply means if someone is a danger to themselves or others, you're able to detain them on a psychiatric hold. And this is usually for 72 hours. And when it comes to having to do paperwork, all they would have had to do was drop her off at the hospital. And the hospital would have handled everything. So the fact that they didn't do that is because of paperwork. When there was no paperwork, you filled out the release paperwork. Right after you did the release paperwork, you should have had her in a patrol car, driving her to the nearest hospital. Yeah, you already have to do an arrest report. I can't imagine it being that much more paperwork. I don't know. This is one of the reasons why the many one of the many reasons why people don't really like the police and don't feel comfortable or trustworthy because of things like that because of cutting corners cutting corners happens at every job across the country and in some cases cutting corners really hurts people and in this case it possibly caused someone's death and we can't accept that no and i think that it speaks to a larger problem with the actual police force that was in charge of this case 
Definitely. So we have some dirt on these people. Um, and th- this is all public knowledge. We'll link the article where we found this. But the LASD is a very large and complex police department that makes accountability difficult to come by. It's large geographically and it's large staff wise. Um, back in the 70s, officers and stations had police gangs within uh, their stations. And some of these gangs were even considered neo-Nazi white supremacist gangs. And these gangs were essentially ignored by higher-ups. You know, it was kind of like a, if, you know, you don't tell me what's going on, then I don't know what's going on. And it's alleged that the Lost Hills Sheriff's Department carried out vigil anti-justice. And officers within the LASD as a whole have been investigated for many things, including rape, smuggling heroin into a lockup, stealing money from from a narcotics bust, smuggling undocumented immigrants, and even using a Los Angeles Sheriff's Department helicopter for unofficial business. What is this? Who does this? If you look at this police department, all you can really see is that they lack ethics and they lack morals. Yeah, like, I feel like Chief Wiggum from The Simpsons would do a better job than these people could. He would. He would. But, Del, you have a really great point with the ethics and morals. I mean, you're going to be smuggling immigrants in. That's immoral. You're stealing from a narcotics bust. That's incredibly unethical and immoral. And, again, this goes with our theory of was protocol broken the night Mitrice was arrested? And is this protocol, if they are following protocol, is this ethical around this protocol for mental health? Is it right? Again, should we be accepting this as citizens? Well, this is really tied to the police being the primary people that are handling mental health events, unfortunately. That's a really good point. And that's kind of the conversation we're all having right now. You know, what are the police doing? What should they be doing? Are they doing their job correctly? And when we talk about that, we do need to talk about mental health. 1.2 million people in jail live with a mental illness. And we have to also consider when we talk about this, was their mental illness maybe connected to their crime? Was it connected to how they spoke with officers and how they're working or how they're talking to people within the jail too? We have such a mental health crisis in this country, and we are, I think, making strides to address it, but so much needs to be done. So, right, Jenny, and I think this is all connected to the fact that there's been a decrease in the funding for mental health programs. The police deal with people in one way, and that's to jail people. People who are in crisis, they don't need jail. They need a trained counselor who is patient and knows how to de-escalate an adverse mental health event. I've seen a lot of people talk about having like a 911 for mental health. And I think some areas do have that where you would call a crisis number and instead of the police coming out, it would be trained counselors and social workers coming out to help deescalate whatever your crisis is, whatever crisis you're witnessing. And I think that's a great addition to any community, especially one that has such deep rooted problems. In addition to the police not being able to de-escalate adverse mental health events, they also are not known for treating people of color very well. If you look at the LA jail population, it is 53% Hispanic and 29% Black, and that number is from 2019. And if you look at Mitrice's case specifically, you can sum it up as a Black girl 
in a rich white neighborhood and she was not taken seriously because of that because she didn't fit into what the police thought should be in that neighborhood and again these aren't really unfounded claims we're making the LAPD has a history of racism and violence against people of color so when we talk about my case we need to take this history into consideration. Again, kind of going off this, Mel Gibson was arrested in 2006 for driving under the influence, and he was taken into the same sheriff's department Mitrice was, but he was brought to his car. Whether that was race because he, or because he's a rich person, because he's a celebrity, who knows, but this is all stuff we can't ignore. So in most cases where there's a missing person of color or a murdered person of color, they don't really get media attention, but Maitrice actually did, which is really great to see. In November 2009, she was on a cover of People magazine along with a few other missing people at the time, and that's a magazine you can get anywhere across the country, so that's really great coverage. And also, um, local newspapers and journalists were reporting on her case, and it really seemed like the general public was on her side. And I do think this has something to do with the LAPD's infamous racist past. So we can connect this back to the Rodney King beating in 1991, I believe. Rodney King was driving under the influence, which you should not be doing. I will, you know, say that. Um, he was driving under the influence and police uh, were trying to arrest him. And there was kind of like a, a chase that happened. And once they pulled Rodney over, he was brutally beaten. And there was video footage of that. And that was made public. It was very shocking for everyone to see. And it really opened up a lot of people's eyes. And then a few years after that, there was the O.J. Simpson case, which was thought to be riddled with racism. Um, Mark Furman was a detective for the LAPD who worked on the case against O.J. Simpson. And there's video footage of him saying the N-word. So, again, there's reason we're saying that there is racism. And this is it. If you have any information on this case or would like to support Mitrice's family, we encourage you to contact Dr. Rhonda Hampton. She's a mentor of Mitrice's and a close family friend. And you can contact her at 951-660-8031. And we also encourage you to visit findmitrice.com. It's a website that Dr. Hampton runs. Before we go, we wanted to take a moment to thank our first Patreon sponsor, Jonathan. Woohoo! Thank you, Jonathan. We appreciate your donation and we thank you for joining us on this journey. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know what you think happened to my trees. You can find us on your favorite podcast platforms every Wednesday with a new episode. Make sure you click the subscribe button to get notified of when new episodes are released. Follow us on Instagram at Crime Corruption Cocktails and on Twitter at Charade Inc. Please consider donating to our Patreon. This will help us get better equipment and bring higher quality content to you. We appreciate any amount you can give. This is Jenny and Dell signing off. Stay safe.